Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. I've got Josh Newberg and Chris Nee with me. I feel like I always start off the podcast by yelling and then the volume gets lower and lower and more somber as it goes on. But the energy in the beginning is important. Fellas, welcome to On the Bench. How are you guys doing this evening? I Joy plan to yell the entire time. Damn it, that's my bad. Start over. Josh, <laughs> Josh, how's it, how's it going this evening? <laughs> I feel like I'm working overtime right now. We are but I'm not getting paid for it. I mean, that's every single podcast that we always do, guys. <laughs> you, just described, you just described the entire existence of On the Bench. Yeah, we're recording this in the evening. This isn't traditional for us, but it's just the way our schedules all fit in. And and there was actually something pretty topical to go over today, and that's where we're going to start the podcast with. FSU got a commitment, a, a surprise commitment. This was a guy that I don't think had any FSU crystal balls in, kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, Kevin Knowles, a three-star cornerback from South Florida, he has a, uh, let's see, 87.1 composite rating, number 505 overall prospect nationally, listed at 5'10", 168 on our site. I think How on tall title. is he? Yeah, we'll talk about the height in a bit because that became quite the talking point on Twitter and uh, on our message board today. I like him, guys. I maybe don't love him, but I think he's he's my type of guy. He's scrappy. He's physical. I think it's a good take. Uh, turn and run ability. And he hustles, and that's that's where I want to start off. Josh, your thoughts on on Kevin Knowles after doing a little bit of research and, and writing the story today? Yeah, I spoke to some people. Um, a lot of Florida State's intrigue beyond what you noted in your article on Knowles twenty four seven about his knack for the big play. Um, he doesn't mind sticking his nose in there and, and making some hits from the secondary. He's got some speed on him. What he lacks in size, though, I'm told he makes up in, in um, just his mindset and his personality. And Florida State really likes what he brings to the locker room. A source told me that he is kind of the personality that FSU wants in its defensive back room. Um, this was a guy that you know came in for a junior day in early March before the uh, shutdown occurred. And they got, a, they got a chance to see him in person. They got a chance to know him. Coach Woodson's been recruiting him and been in close contact ever since. And um, I'm not exactly sure why today was the day, but he pulled the trigger and Florida State was ready to accept his commitment. Uh, five interceptions, according to the Sun Sentinel this past mm-hmm. season. I think we have listed as six interceptions and about 15 pass breakups. So those are really productive numbers. Chris, uh, let's get into the height thing. FSU has a commitment from Hunter Washington. It was also sub six foot. Are you at all concerned about FSU getting too many cornerbacks in this class who lack the quote-unquote prototypical size, which is about 6'1", 6'2"? Well, they have two. Let's say they're going to add another two to three. If they go you know, across the board with guys of similar size, then, yeah, it's a concern. If it's just these two, maybe one more. 
I don't think it's a huge concern, especially considering guys they've taken in recent classes. Demory Tate's one of the first ones that come to mind who are bigger, who, you know, make up for that. Or Isaiah Bolden's a bit bigger and a guy you can put out there on the island at corner. So I don't think it's a huge concern. Travis Jay is another one, of course. Um, but I don't love the idea of taking a bunch of guys. The height thing's weird because, you know, his huddle's 5'11". His profile on us is a little bit shorter. There's some other listings that vary. I talked to Dennis Merquin. He's a seven-on coach down there that Kevin plays for. He said, I believe he's almost six foot. And I, I take De- Dennis at his word. I've known Dennis a long time. Dennis speaks highly of him. Obviously going to hype man him a little bit because he is his player. But I also think Dennis is a straight shooter. He said he's a beast. Not many like him. I believe he's a true corner. So, you know, I like that. The things that jumped out to me on film is he locates the ball extremely well and he yeah, hits for it yeah. extremely well in the air. He's a kid that gets off the ground, plays at its high point, at its apex, and does a really ju- good job of going after it. He's also twitchy in the sense of when a ball changes direction in the air, his hands and his eyes go there. And it, it seemed almost natural. There were some where, you know, he's playing towards the line of scrimmage or the middle of the field, a ball got tipped, redirected, and somehow he still got his mitts on it and made a play on it. So I, I did like that. I think that's a good thing for a guy to just kind of have those natural instincts with his hands and his eyes when it comes to playing a football in the air when they're a true corner. Additionally, Chris, and I noticed that too, like the, the, the ball skills were really impressive. That also translates over to special teams where he's tracking the ball really well. Uh, he picked up a fumble, returned it for a touchdown this past season. And as we know, Mike Norvell loves guys who can contribute on special teams. I, I will say the last thing on on the height topic and like, man, I know it's not a huge deal. It became a big deal on our message board. And I think on Twitter, too, uh, I'll say this. Like, if you're talking about one or two inches, like it doesn't sound like a huge difference at cornerback, but it's more important, like what the arm length is. And we don't have that actually measured for him that we know of. Uh, so we don't really know the wingspan. We don't know how that impacts, you know, being able to to make up for not being, you know, the the ideal six one six two. Charles Power recently looked at the last five NFL draft classes of where where first round defensive backs went. Uh, of those 58 first rounders, I believe there was only one who was under 5'10". The average height of the first round defensive backs were six foot one. So uh, it, it is important. It is something the NFL teams look at and and put place value into. Uh, it's not the end all be all. He does a lot of things really well. I like the take. And I like him and Hunter Washington together. I think they're both good. I think they're both scrappy. I think they're versatile. They play safety, slot, outside. So I I like it. With that in mind, FSU's class goes from 45th nationally, which I know we're all really nervous about, to 32nd with the commitment. Guys, I wanted to throw a little bit of numbers your way, get your thoughts on this, so I'll nerd out, and you can be cool with your responses and, and, and empty out my nerdiness. <laughs> Cross it out. FSU's average grade nationally for so you get an average grade per commitment it's 89.15 that's 17th nationally uh if you take out the lowest ranked guy in the class that's the quavian fuller who we're not really sure what his status is with fsu like they don't you guys can clarify this for me but they don't he doesn't talk about fsu a lot so i don't really know what the status is uh right if without him it'd be 89.87 which would be 15th so i'm gonna ask am i crazy for actually being optimistic about what they're doing this cycle well, it depends on is your optimism based in reality, which I think it is. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I like to think so as I sip on my scotch. Yes, yes. It's a weird conversation that's a reoccurring theme during this slow time on the message board every week or every other week of, oh man, this class. Like, I expect this class to be around 20. 
Yeah. And Correct. above 20, like 20 and below, is a real big positive to me. Below 20, you can live with it. Below 30, that becomes concerning. You know, that's kind of how I view it. They're working with a deck that we've talked about being stacked against them. You know, lack of on-campus visits. So many kids committing early. The fact that the program's not been successful in multiple consecutive years. It's a new staff with new connections that need to be built. There's a lot of things against them. So I think we've kind of learned over here in the last month, you know, with Norvell's appearance on social distance and some other stuff that they are being selective. They don't want to take guys that they're going to lose down the road or that they don't want down the road. They're taking guys they know they want long term. You know, they're being aggressive at a lot of positions. They're also adding a lot of transfers, which kind of takes away from the recruiting perspective of it to some degree. You know, obviously there's some big things we need to see results for offensive tackle, defensive end. Those are two things that immediately come to mind. But I think optimism is fair, but I think it needs to be based in reality. I think that's the issue for a lot of people is a lot of people look at it as, oh, it's FSU. They should just always be top 10, top 15, you know, top five. That's who and what they are. Well, right now that's not who and what they are. They're currently a program in rebuild with a new coaching staff building new connections with a lot of things going against them that were completely out of their control. So the optimistic view probably should be doing the best they can at the highest level they can and getting guys of value who will be good on the roster for multiple years for them. They can't take dead weight in this class. More than anything, they can't miss in this class. Guys they take have to be good players to great players. Mm. They can't afford crap players that are going to take three, four, five years of scholarship because there's been too much of that in recent years, and that's why this roster – is not very good currently that they're trying to make over. Josh, Chris, you love a good you you love a good yeah. Chris Knee uh, a, a rant like that, right? That's just gets you going. He just unloaded the truth, AK. The whole clip is empty. Thank you, Chris. No, I, I agree. I, I agree with both of you. I think um, there is, I guess, reason for optimism if you think that this class was going to finish in the 40s or 30s. I don't think that was ever the case. My expectations before the the Rona hit was a, a class in the 12 to 16 range. Uh, obviously, the shutdown affected Florida State. Chris went in great depth about that. We've talked about it at length on the podcast and on Knowles 24-7. So, you know, I think realistically that probably puts them in the 15 to 20 range. Maybe 22 is where I think that they'll ultimately finish. So, um, yeah, I think it's safe to be optimistic if you thought they were going to finish in the 50s some people some people on the message board do and so i think the big i think the biggest question mark is just where are the playmakers going to come from um we've seen this team we've seen playmakers come from the three-star ranks but for the most part over the course of the last decade the players that really moved the needle were the five stars were the elite of the elite, the guys right. that were identified as the number one players at their position. Um, those were ultimately the guys that, you know, the, the championships were, were built on. So where are those guys going to come from? And I think on that point, Josh, I think Mike Norvell and his offensive staff are going to be good at finding skill guys offensively. I like mm-hmm. wide receiver, tight end running back. I'm not worried. We know they got their quarterback already. So I'm not worried about those. It, for me, it's the offensive line and specifically offensive tackle. At some point, that has to be trending towards being fixed. And it's a tough predicament there. And it's tough for them to convince a kid currently to come be an offensive tackle at FSU. Why is that, Chris? Him. I think people are always asking why. Yeah. And it's it's a I great— think it's become, I think it's become a negative connotation for Florida State that 
FSU doesn't develop offensive linemen. They haven't had good ones. Roderick Johnson was the last one of really any value at offensive tackle you can point to. Rick Leonard was drafted. Hey, Rick Leonard was drafted in the fourth round, Chris. Fourth yeah, he's round. still in the league. Good for him. But Is he I'm really? Saying, I, I, yeah, he, he was as of the end of last season. Oh, nice. I, I think it's a tough sell right now just geographically with what they're dealing with. When they're recruiting offensive linemen, Southeast are competing with Clemson, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, Florida, several others. It's just a tough thing at a position where there's not really a ton of great ones. And they need someone pretty damn good immediately. And they need someone they can develop down the road. And it's just, it's tough. You you look at the guys they run in, like a Micah Morris who's committed to Georgia, or Tristan Lay who put him in his top 12, 15 recently. They're not getting those guys. Amarius Mims, they're not going to get him. They're in it. Those kids like them, but they're not going to get them. The issue is the next tier. They got to get some of those. And, you know, Langlo, for example, going to Auburn this past week, Caleb Johnson going to Auburn this past week. Those are negatives towards what they're trying to do at that position because once that second tier starts becoming depleted, you're getting into guys where you're, it's entirely a projection. And it, it's kind of a 50 50 proposition whether you're going to get a guy who's going to develop and be a good player or you're going to get a guy who you hope you can develop and he never develops and he becomes dead weight on your roster, which FSU's had a lot of those. We hope they develop guys in recent years. And for whatever reason, whether program or the player, they were not developed. And that's why they're in this predicament to some degree. But they need a guy just to buy in. And the guy's got to buy in on his own volition. It can't be – there's not really something that FSU can sell right now. It's not like Alabama where they're like, hey, come be the next Jedrick Willis or Georgia where they're like, hey, be the next Andrew Thomas or Clemson where, hey, we're winning so much. They don't have that. And I don't know if it's a JUCO rings. I don't know how they do it, but it's a tough sell, and they've got to find it either from a transfer, a JUCO, or a high school kid, or a combination of the bunch. And it's it's just tough for me offensively. That is a position where this class is going to like this class can be really good, but if it's not good at that position offensively, you're still stuck very much in neutral, and that's a big concern. And it's not a knock on Alex Atkins or anybody on the staff. I think they're doing a very good job of what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of results are tough to come by. The positive side that I can think of, or at least a selling point, I don't even want to say positive, a selling point that you have if you're Florida State is you mentioned Alex Atkins. He just had an offensive tackle taken in the fourth round of the NFL draft. Chris Thompson, who's expected to help out some of the offensive line, has had three offensive tackles taken in the past three years of the NFL draft. Like Those are things you have to get guys to believe in. Uh, but right now, I do think there's negative recruiting, to Chris's point, uh, of almost like a narrative against can Florida State develop offensive tackles, even though it has nothing to do with this staff. That, that's tough when you have opposing coaching staffs likely saying you know, FSU hasn't developed this position in, in how many years. It's a problem. Do you guys want to hear my, my Langlo conspiracy theory? I'm all for it. All right. So F- FSU offers Langlo to basically get Auburn to put on the pressure for him to commit, which happens, right? Mm-hmm. And what does that do? It opens Fill up, up their the door. Roster. Yeah, it addresses Auburn's need at tackle, and it opens up uh, – or takes out a competitor, I guess, for Rod Orr. You guys like that? They did that. This is this is chess that FSU mm-hmm. playing right now, not checkers. I really like that theory, Brendan. Unless Uh-oh. they were willing to take two 
I think they made three or four or five offensive tackles. (laughs) Let me ask you what amount of offensive tackles would be excessive in this class. Like what's the point? You're like, all right guys, too many. Cause I think you could take like four and the fan base wouldn't say anything. I think you could take four tackles. They were true six foot four to six foot seven, you know, somewhere in that range, offensive tackles and they would, they would take them all. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that's, and that's, that's the uh, predicament we're in. Florida state doesn't need just one. Right. So Langlo goes and, or, you know, they need them all. They need, they need like three or four in this class. And um, right now they don't have any. Josh, let's go to the defensive backboard with, with the two DBs we mentioned earlier with Knowles and Hunter Washington on the board. Or I guess off the board is, are they on, they're on the board for like the commitments, but they're on now off the recruit board. board. Yeah. yeah. Off the war, <laughs> the recruiting war board, the, 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 the war room board. Let's talk about the guys who are on the war room board at defensive back and, and kind of go over the numbers of what we think FSU is, is open to taking in this, in this recruiting cycle. Yeah. Spoke to some sources today after the commitment, just to kind of see where FSU stands Um, there. They want three more, not exactly sure of the combination. Sorry, DBs or or just defensive backs. I'm not sure the combination because things are kind of fluid where guys might end up playing as, as we've talked about on each podcast with, um, you know, the same way that we kind of say, Oh, this guy could play in the nickel. He could play safety. I mean, that's obvious. So the staff thinks the same too, and there's different ways guys could fit. So the idea is to take probably three more. And the key here is difference makers, guys that the staff uses different make difference makers. Um, I think among those names that we could expect to be takes right now would be Terry and Arnold, Amari Harvey, Corey Collier, Cameron Grays, Amorian Cooper, Amarian Cooper, sorry. And uh, there's a couple of Juco guys, but Dejon Warren would probably be the, uh, the top target at Juco right now. And then we have Dink Jackson, who's listed as an athlete. Uh, we were talking before the podcast started. We're not really sure where Dink Jackson fits in. But I think we're going to lump them in right now with the with the defensive backs. All right, uh, is so Cooper of definitely those, of those is Cooper names. definitely a take? Uh, that's one name I want. Is Cooper? Is he definitely a take in your mind? I wouldn't say definitely, but he because I think today might have sh- shook some things up. If he yeah. wanted it, I think there'd be a conversation, and I do think they would accept his commitment. Um, mm-hmm. you know, without him trying to commit, I can't say, do I, is he definitely a take, but in my opinion, yeah. Call him and ask him if he's tried to commit. Well, I think the thing with Cooper is when he took that visit, he, he came real close to doing it then and there. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a conversation of, Hey, let's pump the brakes a little, give it a little time. Now, when that conversation happened, there was an expectation of spring evaluation period, so on and so forth. That's all gone. So the, the pieces on the table have changed to some degree. So it makes it a little bit more of a conversation. People love to ask, is a guy a take? A lot of times that conversation is not necessarily truly had till the moment has to be had. So like, it's not one of these things where I think they write on the board, definitely take versus not a take. You know, I think people think it's, you know, clearly separated idea. It's not. Sorry, that was really, that was really hard. I was trying to. I just saw your head beaming. I thought somebody was outside your house banging on the windows. I mean, might as well the way he barks. Yeah, it's like our neighborhood girls running around across the street. Apparently, they're very threatening to to Willie. All right. That's the DB board. Josh is going to have more in-depth on it. 
tomorrow, I guess it depends on when you guys are listening to this podcast and when I, when I post it. It may already be up on Knowles 24-7, so, so check it out then. Chris, I'm going to give you a minute here to do a quick rundown on some of the other subsidiary recruiting updates on the week. If you uh, if you want to do your machine gun, your AK-47 uh, bit, please go for it. Well, four-star Louisiana wide receiver Keon Coleman named the top six. It's Kansas, Michigan State, Mississippi State, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Florida State. He did it on his birthday. I think FSU is in a pretty good spot with him right now. He's a kid that is somewhat interested in playing both football and basketball at the next level. That's why some of those schools that may seem a little odd when you hear that list, that's why some of them are on there, mm-hmm. Kansas and Michigan State. Uh, Michael Trigg really, you know, swinging it. 20, top 20, <laughs> drop top 20. And then when I post about it, people act like I told him to drop a top 20. I know, <laughs> I love that. I love the reaction. really in that one. Auburn's really in that one. I, you know, I think those are the top two. I've thought that for a good while. I have a crystal ball in for FSU. Uh, Trig, you know, every time I ask him, are you close? What's next? He told me a list was next. That list ended up being 20. I don't think he's a guy who's in a super big rush right now. No, based uh, on the top 20 list, I would say <laughs> yeah, not. <laughs> yeah, dropping a top 20 kind of lends itself to that. Um, you know, we've seen some movement with the Juco DBs, uh, Dejon Warren set up four official visits, Florida state's not one of them. So, you know, that's another kid that we're kind of keeping an eye on, but right now Alabama's probably going to get that fifth official if he locks it in at this time, uh, trying to think anybody else, uh, Josh Burrell's a young yeah. man. I tried to get up with him last night for an update in part because of a tweet that he sent out talking about being maybe close to deciding on where home is. He doesn't want to talk. He said he didn't want to do an interview. He did tell me that because he's very high on his list and he's considering him a lot and they are recruiting him very hard. So I think it's pretty safe to say that FSU VT are two that are definitely hot and heavy with him. The one difference there is he has a brother who's also a prospect. FSU, to my knowledge, is not super aggressive with him while Virginia Tech has been to some degree. I don't know if that will factor into it. It's not something I've had a conversation with the other Burrell about. Follow the likes. With Joshua Burrell is all I'm saying. Yeah, and the only crystal ball to my knowledge on him from us is from you. Which means absolutely nothing. (laughs) Well, not absolutely nothing, but pretty close to it. My confidence rating was very, very low. Shocking that on the new confidence rating we have for the crystal balls that all my confidence ratings are are timid and and frigid. I don't think the ratings show yet, do they? Oh, good. I, I don't know. That's I'm something they s- hope to unveil in the next week or so. The rankings drop yeah. Wednesday, the updated rankings. I think that's the next thing that they're going to unveil. Nee, what happened? So they want us to go in and put in the confidence ratings for everyone that we put in a crystal ball for, right? Correct? Mm-hmm. Well, Correct. What happens? Like my Amari Harvey one looks pretty good because I'm the only one who didn't panic and flip to Florida when everyone else thought he was going to commit and he didn't commit. Uh, and Florida State looks pretty good. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to. I don't want to lose that month, like three month gain I have on everyone else. Do I, don't I lose think, it? From what I understand, when you do the confidence rating, it doesn't change the date of when you entered the crystal ball. Oh, and you're so just saying that to make me move it. To date. No, just, I mean I put confidence ratings in for every single guy I have a crystal ball on who is not currently committed, unless it was a flip pick, then I put one in, obviously. But it didn't change the date of any of my picks for where a kid is going. Okay, maybe I'll try it. I still don't believe you. I feel like this is a conspiracy to throw me off the scent and me not be the top of the crystal ball ladder this this cycle. As I'm batting 50%. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I have a, a little bit of nerdy scholarship numberness to go over. A player was 
medically disqualified and josh has an update on a grad transfer offensive tackle which i know you guys are going to want to hear about so stay tuned after a quick break ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right we are back for the second and final segment of Knowles 24 7's on the bench podcast i don't know why i'm doing a radio intro that's not really what we do here guys as like the person who produces this i do have a dilemma uh, I've noticed today that Chris is much better in the evening and Josh seems a little bit more fried in the evening. I know he's more of a morning person and Chris hates the mornings. So you're kind yeah. of putting me to where I don't know what to do going forward because this is this is Chris's a game and Josh hey, is more again. <laughs> I volunteered to do this thing in the morning. You guys wanted to do, do it at night. Yeah, I'm working. I'm working summer hours from on forward. So <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. We actually have people at corporate listen to this podcast occasionally. I don't know why, but they do. Uh, we should get knees like quick minute recap of stuff sponsored. Like that's a segment that that people probably really enjoy on this podcast. And we need you know, a gun range, <laughs> gun range, an ammo shop to uh, to go ahead and sponsor it. All right, so let's do some updates here on the portal. The portal is always giveth-in and taketh-in, it seems, right now. Let's see if it's going to be giveth-in. Josh, an update on Houston offense tackle Jaron Williams, if you will. Yeah, the portal has been popping. 
Um, last week it was Isaiah Walker, Jared Williams. I even wrote a brief story about an NIU target. I think his name was CJ Perez. It doesn't even matter because the story was up. I called the I called CJ and spoke to him at about eleven forty five a.m. The story was posted by noon. CJ sent me a text at like two thirty. And it was kind of hard for me to understand and interpret, but I thought he committed to Temple in the text. And I put it in the group chat. <laughs> and I'm like, I think this kid just told me he committed to Temple. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us really knew for sure if he did either, but that was certainly a fair assumption on your part and an accurate assumption because he did. So uh, I hadn't even really had the time to look into it to realize that the NIU head coach from last year is at Temple now. And it made sense on why he was kind of waiting to hear from Temple. I didn't understand why he'd be waiting to hear from Temple. Um, Temple hadn't offered him when he did his Zoom call with Mike Norvell in Florida State. And about 20 minutes after his scheduled Zoom call, he told me he had a Zoom call with Mike Norvell in Florida State at one p- at 2 p.m. He texted me that he's committed to Temple. So he's off the board. Jared Williams texted me on Wednesday evening saying that he was now ready to drop his top list. I don't know, top whatever. That's a Houston offensive tackle. I don't know if we clarified that, but yes. Houston offensive tackle. So Houston offensive tackle Jared Williams. I've written several updates on him on Knowles 24-7 to this point, and um, he was supposed to uh, do a top five with me. He said he wanted to do it on Friday. So I said, all right, Friday I'll shoot you a text, and we can go from there and figure out what you want to do. So Friday around noon, I shot him a text and said, hey, how do you want to do your top list? Are you ready to, you know, you want me to give you a call? And he said, you know, I'm going to commit soon. So I think I'm just going to hold off on putting anything out right now. And basically he said that within the next week, so today, depending on whether you're listening to this on Monday night or Tuesday morning, um, I expect something by the end of the weekend, maybe the end of the week uh, from Jared Williams. He didn't want to tip his hand. We know that the main teams involved are Florida State, Baylor, Ole Miss, Miami, USC. He's speaking with a bunch of schools, but those are kind of the the main schools that we know of. So thinking by the end of the week, we should have a decision by him. I'm not going to be overly optimistic that it's Florida State. We've seen how some of these transfers play out. Um, I don't even think this is one of the best offensive line transfers Florida State's been in for. I think there's been better ones that they've missed on. So we'll see how this plays out with Jared Williams. I if think, I had to guess, I'd yeah, say Yeah, I was going to ask, I was ask you. Okay, Baylor. I'd, All right. Baylor. It makes sense because he, there's some connections there with his former high school coach on Baylor staff, correct? Yeah, and it's closer to home. And if you've never right. visited UF or Miami, and he, I don't know if he's visited Baylor or not, but let's let's say he hasn't visited Baylor. It's it's less risk to the kids from Texas. He's played all his college in Texas. His family lives in Texas, so um, it's hard. It's hard to pull a kid that's never visited from out of state that you don't have any ties to. And Ole Miss makes a little bit of sense too because Randy Clements is the offensive line coach there. We know Randy Clements from last year FSU. He was the offensive line coach at Houston when Jaron Williams had by far his best statistical season. I think his PFF grade was seventy-seven. Yeah, and Jared Wilson is going to get a six. He's he's eligible for a sixth year, so that meant he was actually recruited to Houston by Tom Herman. <laughs> <laughs> it goes way back. Uh, it's deep. All right. I have a note here to do a Fabian Lovett update. Can you guys do that for like a minute while I go get a refill? Oh, boy. It's all you, Josh. Have fun. 
Well, I tried calling Fabian Love it a couple times today, and his phone was off. Um, I haven't, you know, I've been trying trying to reach him for the last couple weeks, ever since things kind of started swirling that he is entertaining other schools. Um, he has not answered the phone. He has not commented publicly anywhere. He was more than willing to come on our podcast after he committed. But about a week later, that's when rumors started surfacing that he was entertaining other schools. I spoke to several contacts in and around Florida State, and they're fully aware of what's been going on. Um, I think they were aware of it before even it was brought to our attention. It was just kind of their understanding that they were going to have to recruit Lovett all the way until he gets on campus. And that's just how it is with a lot of these transfers. There's nothing binding that you can sign. There's no letter of intent. There's nothing that makes you a piece of Florida State's property until you enroll. So until he enrolls, he can talk to other schools. He can, and this isn't just, oh, this is happening to Florida State. Um, One of the first transfers that hit the portal with interest in FSU fans was TJ Stormont. He was a offensive tackle from Colorado State. He publicly committed to Purdue and ended up showing up at TCU and enrolling. So it's just kind of how the transfer game goes. More like per don't. Did you guys mention the Ole Miss lean? <laughs> so that's really the only thing I wanted you to talk about. And I only heard the back half of that, and you basically repeated something. That, that was your intel. That's not my. That's not my intel. It's on our Mississippi State board. One of the moderators is saying that's the rumor there. Like, I, it's someone that runs the Mississippi State site that's mentioning Ole Miss as being an option, hot and heavy is the rumor. It's just a rumor. But what we do know is, as Josh said, Fabian Lovett is very much so he's committed, but open. So it's, you know, I guess you get into the terms of whether someone's actually committed if they're open. You know what I mean? Matt Lorbick. Let's hold go on. I got a question for Chris. Oh God. Oh damn it. I was hoping to stay out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to Chris fake had his, he had his cell phone up to his face. He wasn't even looking at it. Yeah. Lasso men. All right. What's up, Josh? Does Fabian Lovett ever play a down for Florida State, yes or no? Oh, don't put Johnny on the spot. Um, who knows? Like, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it will be tough for the young man to tell Odell no. Because I think Odell was a big reason why he said yes. Um, we shall see. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not taking your bait, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, you can proceed, Brendan. What do you think, Josh? Since you're the one asking the questions. <sighs> I think it's always better to have him committed than not. But boy, it doesn't. You guys are both soft. No, he's not playing for Florida State. doesn't seem that way. He hasn't responded to any of Josh's text messages in two there months. We go. That's not how it goes. Logically. I would love but he's not talking to anybody. He's talking to some people, just not anyone in our market. So, yeah. He would be huge. I hope Florida State keeps him because he gives you the potential to create a pretty, I don't know, seamless transition with Marvin Wilson. Is he doing interviews? Have you seen anything? I I mean, I haven't really looked. I know of people who have spoken with him off record. Right. No, no no interviews. He's been quiet. But I think we've been doing this long enough, and I know the transfer portal dynamic is a little different. But when a kid commits and then goes quiet and Mm -hmm. is still – actively open in his recruitment like how often does that end well for the team that's that's currently he's currently committed to less than 50 percent right yeah 
So I'm that's so beat up. I'm so that, beat up at this point. I just that's what I'm, I'm just trying to get through it, man. I'm getting it's my like, summer hours. <laughs> this is literally a topic that I brought up just for me to get more scotch, and it's derailed. Here Matt Lor- Matt Lorbeck is a name I just want to throw out there real quick. Another NIU grad transfer. How many of those? That's like four. It's like four like decent players from their team too. Like guys who who can start at the uh, at the P five level. He's a defensive end. He's had decent production. In the past two seasons, six and a half sacks, but really efficient numbers. PFF gives him an 85 point overall grade in 2019 and an 84.7 pass rush grade. His pass rush, pass, excuse me, pass rush productivity rate is 15th among group of five edge defenders. I reached out to him a little earlier today, shortly after he entered the portal. He had not heard immediately from Florida State. I believe FSU is going to do some homework on him, probably watch a little bit of film and see if he's someone who would who would add to the defensive end rotation. We know that's a position that they've been looking at right now. No communication between the two, but it is a name I just wanted to put out there in case that does develop and put on your guys' radar right now. I would imagine probably not someone who's going to, to really develop into a hot and heavy recruitment for Florida state, but, but possible Christian Meadows guys. That was on Friday, the offensive lineman, former four-star offensive lineman from Georgia, from middle Georgia, medically disqualified, that was a name when Chris was just firing people left and right that he, he mentioned. And I shouldn't make a joke out of it because he's had a really bad hand with, with injuries. Uh, his shoulder has been a chronic issue since he arrived at Florida state, actually probably problematic before he arrived at Florida state. It, it sucks. He's a kid who we expected high, you know, a lot of good things from high potential with his, with his frame and physicality. It just never really developed. Right, Chris. Yeah. He had it cleaned up. It didn't really take, Shoulders are a tricky business, especially when you're a guy who has some push and shove like he does. So stinks for Christian, but not surprising nonetheless. He arrived to campus with some serious damage in that shoulder. I remember yeah. Greg Fry telling me that, you know, the way that he checked in at their official visit, he doesn't think that he would have been medically cleared as a take for their staff. Like he was in such bad shape. I think he was committed to Jimbo. Correct? He was, he was, and he, yeah, and they kept him committed because they needed offensive. They kept linemen. him committed because they needed offensive linemen, and you know they were honoring his commitment and all that, and they were just hoping that he was going to get better. But I remember talking to Greg Fry and David Kelly, uh, but shortly after signing day, and they were both kind of like, you know, we're going to get him in here. He's going to have surgery, and I was like, oh, so he's going to redshirt, and they both kind of had the thing like, not only is he going to redshirt, but like he may never, he may never play here. DK told me that he couldn't even lift like any sort of weight over his head. He couldn't do like an overhead press with any sort of weight on it. It's how bad the right. shoulder was. So this, and I'm talking, this was the first year. This was when Greg Fry just got to campus. So this is two plus years ago um, that they were, they were talking like this about Christian Meadows. So it's not a, it's not a surprise. We are all hoping the young man could have gotten that shoulder right and got healthy, but at least, um, you know, at least they're going to keep him on scholarship and he'll have an opportunity to get his degree at Florida state. That would be ideal, and that's one benefit to the way this system works when you talk about a medical disqualification. It means he can remain on scholarship at Florida State, like Josh said. It doesn't count, though, against Florida State's scholarship count. Right. So with that in mind, we have 81 scholarships accounted for if you include the incoming freshmen who have signed with Florida State, assuming that that they're all set and academically good to go. Uh, so that's 81. And then when you add in the grad transfers that are currently committed to Florida State, Jordan Wilson, the tight end, Deontay Williams, the defensive end, Fabian Lovett, who we talked about earlier, and Miko Dotson, 
Assuming all four of those guys are on scholarship, that puts FSU right at 85, which is the NCAA allotment. Yet they're still exploring options in the transfer portal. So what does that tell you guys? More attrition's coming and the numbers will always work out. There you go. There you go. It is a tough break with Christian Meadows. And man, guys, I don't know. Did you read what I wrote on the offensive line over the weekend with just the, the awful injury luck and just misses that have happened at that position? No, why would you guys read uh, yeah. something that no, I wrote? I looked at it. I looked at it, but I mean, it's just, it's not a regurgitation of painful issues. <laughs> it is bad. It is bad. It is just, it shows why the offensive line is in the state it is. And, and as Chris articulated very well earlier, that there's a lot of things perception wise FSU has to overcome. Some of it's its own fault. And uh, Rick Trickett and Jimbo going with weird numbers, you know, every year, sometimes loading up, sometimes going with only one guy. Uh, injury issues on the offensive line, Landon Dickerson, Bavion Johnson, Jawan Williams. And we're talking about guys who, who miss a season or two seasons or three seasons or have seasons cut short with injuries. The development just gets stunted there. You're talking about four different offensive line coaches with Atkins, Alex Atkins being the fourth in, in four seasons. It's just, there's a lot of things to overcome there. Uh, and you hope that someone in the, in the portal or, or you can get someone to help kind of turn the tide in the near future there at that position, which brings me to, uh, one of our final topics of the evening, we are starting up our most important player list that we've done for the last few years now. Quantifying importance, and I guess it depends on how you define how like how a player is important. Uh, but this is the first year we're going to do a composite. Usually it's just I put it together. I ask the guys for their thoughts. They give some suggestions. We tweak it, and I put it out there, and I get yelled at uh, by everyone. This year, we're putting it out to where everyone's getting yelled at. It's going to be a composite between Chris, Josh, Zach, and myself. But Elliot gave us a top 50 as well. And we've asked a couple of other guys from other outlets to go ahead and, and give us their top 52. So we're, we're going to start that soon. But, fellas, how many offensive linemen would you say you've had in your top 20? I'd say four or five. And, guys, I don't even know we're going to start necessarily. I had, I believe, two. Only two? So, no, so, I'm sorry. I had three. I had three. Okay. That's a little low. I'm surprised. Um, Not. What I want to get to, though, with this is we all had the same thought at some point in time when putting this together. Not to be negative, but outside, once you get to about 30 or so, did it get really difficult for you guys? It, it, 20. It was, it was really hard. Uh, and it's because, because why, Josh? Why was it hard for you? <laughs> because the roster is very thin with, you know, elite talent. And you start making, you start squinting your eyes and making projections. Like once yeah. you get past 20 on guys that haven't done anything at Florida state that should have done something that you're hoping will still do something. And from, from like a fan's perspective, from an insider's perspective, I can understand why I would have these guys ranked, you know, 20th or 21st, but like from an outsider perspective, you 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 could look at the roster and be like, man, they have a lot of a lot of holes, a lot of unproven talent, and a lot of production that needs to be filled on both sides of the ball. Anything to add yeah, to that, Chris? I I mean, I felt the same way. It was just an uncomfortable exercise because, you know, for example, a guy like uh, Jordan Young, for example, I think Jordan Young was gonna have a good spring. He kind of showed signs he even did last year late in the year show some signs with the former staff mm -hmm. you know you start thinking oh it's coming it's coming he's a two guy two deep guy in the depth chart but the thing is in reality he's never done much of anything 
Kando is easily one of those guys you can point out between injuries and lack of production. Layborn's another guy. You know, I, I have Corbin higher than I have Layborn. Yeah, because I actually so, think yeah. Corbin's more reliable. Yeah, so it's it, it's tough. It, you know, I don't love the O line, obviously. So, you know, ranking some of those guys who you expect to be in too deep, which you would think would be your top twenty two, twenty four guys. Uh, some of those guys for me aren't ranked that high because they're just not that valuable to the roster because they're not that good. And and that's where the definition of important becomes kind of arbitrary in a sense. Like it, it depends on how you view it. Cause like Chris said, if you're just based on value, like how good a player is, it's tough to put the offensive line right now with the unknowns that we have with the lack of development we've seen over the years without knowing like does Darius Washington or Dante Lucas make a major jump is Dante love Taylor all that great. Like it's tough to say that's a top 20 player on this roster, but at the same time it's important for one of those three guys, if not all three of them to play at least average football because I don't know who the other two or three starters are outside of those guys. Andrew Pacelli, Brady Scott, I guess. Like, it, it, yeah, there's some questions. And I think it'll actually be fun as we kind of reveal the list. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be top 40 or top 50 yet. I had us do 50, but with attrition still expected and additions to the transfer portal or guys who are committed in the transfer portal maybe being uh, – not on campus yet. There may be some variables there, but but we will kind of roll it out periodically this uh, this summer here coming up and talk about it on the podcast. Like I think it's going to be an interesting exercise and in having all of us weigh in. There'll be a lot of variables and a lot of differences. Uh, the last thing I want to get to, Chris, really quickly, state universities on track for this fall. Correct. What what does that what does that mean? Uh, well, the state universities is the universities in the Sunshine State, like Florida, Florida State. I think it's a total of thirteen total universities. From a football perspective, it's mainly seven that we care about. Uh, just today, the state, the state of EDU portion of the state issued a statement of workable dates for later this month and into June to work towards a reopening, which basically would come in August. Now, people look at that and think, oh, you know, the SEC is about to go, but if Florida is about to do something, the University of Florida is about to do something, Florida State's probably going to be pretty <laughs> close to a mirror image. And that's going to be true for USF, UCF, Miami maybe to a lesser degree because it is more private and such. But in general, they're going to all kind of be on the same page. It's just a good sign to expect football in the fall as things are progressing currently. We've seen other schools, Notre Dame, for example, today said that uh, their fall semester essentially is going to end with Thanksgiving. I think they're cutting out a fall break and they're going to go through Thanksgiving and then cut it out for the rest of the fall. So you're seeing some schools go with that. I think that's a little bit more of a northern approach because of the concern about the cold season season as compared to the south. So, you know, you're seeing a lot of schools make plans like that. We saw some wiggle with California today with sports being allowed back a little more early than was previously expected with their last announcement. Texas made a similar announcement today about sports coming back at the end of the month to some degree. So I think we're seeing a progression towards a little bit more opening up from a sports perspective. Now, the issue is that are we going to do this as all NCAA schools? Are we Mm -hmm. going to do this by conference or by individual school? I think a lot of that's still to be determined from an FSU perspective. I think we'll do similar to what the state does and similar to what the ACC does. I don't think we're going to go Lone Ranger. Kind of related to that, I think it was two weeks ago we reported, I reported, and, and we talked about it on the podcast, that FSU was hopeful that it would be able to get its players back to Tallahassee in the middle of May. We're now in mid-May. Josh, I, I know I've been under the assumption I've heard 
basically that most of the players are indeed back in the area and I'm checking to see if you heard something similar to that. Yeah, that was the expectation to this point that probably anywhere from 70 to maybe 80% of the team would be in Tallahassee um, by now and certainly by June 1st. So that would be big. And if we're talking about, didn't the SEC today, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they say June 26 is when on-campus activities would resume? Or am I... Am I making that up? I thought that's what I heard, and I wouldn't have just made up June 26 in my mind, would I? I, I think June 26 was one of the dates in the state of Florida EDU portion. Okay. The SEC is supposed to have a vote this week, I want to say. I want to say Wednesday or Thursday pertaining to their their rollout. And okay. So I don't All think right. they've I'm set combining them. date. Yeah. But uh, I'm combining the SEC them. is supposed to go vote this week, and I think we see a lot of movement nationally. The Big 12 had a statement today about kind of reopening things, working towards it. Everybody's kind of taking it. I still think the pace car in all of this is the SEC. Makes sense. All right, Josh, I'm going to ask you to uh, ask for five-star reviews because I, I will say this. Since you started doing that, the influx of five-star reviews has been incredible. Uh, people clearly like you more than me, which is totally understandable. I do want to say thank you, though, to everyone who has subscribed and rated us and reviewed. We're up to 914 five-star reviews, and we're, we've surpassed a little while ago 1,500 ratings in general. Even the guy who recently gave us a four-star review because I couldn't pronounce the name of a player who never played for Florida State and played at Auburn. Um, but I'm not dwelling on that. You wanted me to ask for reviews after you just went ahead and thanked everybody for reviewing. Yes, yes. Went over the reviews and told people that we need reviews. But, you didn't you but I didn't ask, ask because them. the magic the magic formula, Josh, has been that if you ask. Well, I don't really ask five. for the reviews. I just want to thank the people for listening. <laughs> um, we appreciate any reviews that you leave, any star rankings that you may give us that are five stars and above we appreciate those but more than anything we just appreciate you guys listening so for brendan sinone for chris nee i'm josh newberg thank you for listening to on the bench e-village Noel, if you ever give me a four-star ranking again Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.